morning, my name is Calvin Emika Onwuka and I welcome you to this episode of your Sports Memo Podcast. It is my privilege and honour to announce to you my guest. My guest will be former Norwich City and Wimbledon Premier League footballer Efan Okoku. Efan Okoku is also a 1994 Afghan winner and they're also a member of the Super Eagles um, team to Nigeria's first ever World Cup in the US. He will be with me shortly. Please stay with us. Um, welcome back to your Sports Memo Podcast. Um, like I said before, I went away. I have with me uh, former Super Eagles, Norwich City, Wimbledon Football Club star, Efan Okoku with me. Um, Evan, welcome to your Sports Memo Podcast. Thanks very much. Right. Evan, to everybody. Right. On the 25th of September in 1993, um, Nigeria played Côte d'Ivoire in a vital World Cup qualifier. I was at the National Stadium during that game. And as the game ended, which Nigeria won 4-1, I remember leaving the stadium and then getting to the raid into the Macau and put on the radio to check on the uh, Premier League results for that afternoon and then Norwich went to Goodison Park and beat Everton 5-1 um, a certain forward scored four goals in that game what do you what do you recall about that game Evan? are you talking about me? I have no idea it's a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah it is a lot for 27 years isn't it nearly yeah wow time flies isn't it Mm. Um, yeah, it was um, a special day for me. You know, it was my real. It was when I really announced to myself, I suppose, um, in the Premier League. Um, yeah, so it was a big, big, it was a big victory for us. We were, we've had a, a good season, you know, the year before. Yeah. Third. Yep. And um, yeah, so this was just a, a reminder to everybody, you know, that Norwich were a good club with lots of very good players. Uh, for me personally, yeah, it was a landmark, and um, as I said, it announced me to announced me to the whole country, really, on you know, in, in a major way. What, what was what was it like playing for Mike Walker? Because that Norwich side, as you said, the year before had finished third to yeah. Villa and Manchester United. Where, where, what was it like, Mike Walker, as a manager? Uh, Mike was a very good. Uh, I thought he was a very good communicator. Very uh, easy, easygoing, laid-back guy, um, who I think allowed people to express themselves. Uh, I think it helps when you've got a group of generally older players. I think the, you know the core of the team was a bit older than me, and guys who I think you know, guys I'm, you know, I remember well. I, I spent time with him at the football club. You know, he was a coach there. He'd been in charge of the second team for a couple of years. And you know, so they all knew him, you know, a lot of the guys had played with him before. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was very comfortable with the surroundings, they were comfortable with him. Um, and was clear with his direction of, of, what, of how he wanted the game to be played. Mm-hmm. And you know, some players respond to a kind of touch. Okay. So Michael was, you know, so, so I think Mike was very good at, at, um, at simplifying what he wanted from you. And especially, especially if he bought you. Brought you to the football club as he did with me. 
It wasn't a question of trying to change the way you play, just mm. slowly integrating you into the way they they believe you know the game should be played. But also always reminding themselves that you know they brought you for a particular reason. Yeah. You have certain you know you have certain qualities that can make the team better. So I enjoyed working with him. Um, yeah, you know, you know, very much shame you left, you know, so early. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, the team started to break up really, you know, from the moment he left, you know, mentally or, or psychologically, you know, things were starting to unravel, which was a shame. And um, and I left I left about nine months later, you know, but uh, you know, was, it, was it just nine months later? Yeah, I left um, October nineteen four. Mike I think left in in January. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, but in between that time, you know, we had um, Rule Fox left in January, not long after Mike left. He mm. left in the, in the summer, I went to Blackburn. Yeah. So that, and then, then, then I left a few months later. So that was, you know, so that was a forward line, you know, completely gone yeah. from the club within nine months. You know, there's no surprise, you know, that they got relegated. You know, so, you know, that's the reason that I left. You know, it's, it's not, um, even then, it's, it's well, well, then also, if you lose, lose arguably your three best players, you know, the three most potent people mm-hmm. in the team, and you don't replace them with people uh, as good, then, you know, without the deep squad that some of the Premier League teams have now, yeah. then, you know, you, you you can't expect to survive, really. As I said, you know, Norris got really what, 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 were you broke? Was the club broke or something? No, 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 I don't. Have always run the ship on a on a sound financial footing. Uh, there was a period about seven eight years ago where they were in debt. They had some money issues, but that you know that was a short or small window in their history. You know, usually you know they run very well. The guy in charge of the football club at the time, guy called Robert Chase, yes. was criticised. You know, was criticised. You know, for you know for penny pinching really and not spending big money. Mm. But, but then how do you cope with Liverpool? I had you cope with Manchester United. I had you cope with Arsenal back in the early to mid twenties. You know, unless you unless you generate the revenue through through um, match day revenue through the what they call the turn stars through yeah. the number of people who, who come to watch. You know, we had good crowds when I was at Norwich, twenty four, twenty five thousand. But but Liverpool with with forty thousand, Manchester United with fifty thousand, Arsenal with thirty five thousand. Um, if you have a couple of fantastic years yeah. where you you know you can maximise. That and then commercially you are advanced, you know, more advanced than they are. But you know, those weren't the days then. It's different now. Yeah. Where, you know, you know commercially because you know the broadcasting was so huge. So uh, no, the club was never under serious financial strain. I just think you know they always felt they wanted to run a very tight ship, um, and you know that's you know that was their prerogative. But obviously fans, you know, never liked that. So basically, it was because Mike left that. The, the team just broke up. I think that's the main reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike wanted um, he wanted the best deal for himself personally. I mm-hmm. can understand that. Mm-hmm. I think you know from what I remember, the deal was to incentivize base, um, and uh, that's that, you know you know they did that because of the success of the previous eighteen months. But you know for a club like Norwich to maintain that level yeah. is not possible. There were no sugar daddies around there. There was no Abramovich. Apart from Jack Walker. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, Jack Walker was, was around. Well, he was the only one. You know? mm. and, and because of the kind of money, you know, they won the league title. 
yeah. he was the only one willing to, you know, put his money in, his personal money in. Um, yeah, so I think Mike leaving was the catalyst. And then, uh, then once once one of your best players goes, he was, if you see yourself in that top bracket, yeah. one of the best players at the football club, you don't want to be the last one leaving. <laughs> yes, you know, true. Because you don't want to be the last one sort of holding, you know, shit together. So once one goes and next one goes, you start to think, well, yeah, it's not going to be as good here as it was before because we're not replacing life for life in terms of quality. Mm. So if an opportunity arises, and then you, you know you take it. Rule um, um, Sutton went to Blackburn and Jack Walker. Rule went to Newcastle. And you went to Wimbledon. You see that Wimbledon were paying more than Norwich were at the time. Well, nothing to do with money. I didn't go. I didn't move for money. Right. I've never, I've never moved anywhere for money. Okay. Because if you're doing well, you know the money will follow you wherever mm. you go. If you are, if you're playing at a level, yeah. I understand. I understand why some players be fine, and that's up to them. You know, but money's not my card. It's never been my card. I moved for enjoyment or for satisfaction. And I was well paid when I went to Norwich, but you know, I was well paid when I was at Norwich and I was well paid when I went to Wimbledon. Yeah. I could have I could have stayed and uh, I could have stayed at Norwich. Um, sometimes I I think I could have done. The only reason that I left really is because new managements the assistant took over and never had a good relationship with him. So I feel as if your working environment is not going to be, it's not going to be satisfactory. Mm. You know, satisfactory. Then you have, you, you have to make a decision. They had some mental fatigue as well from the World Cup, you know, not going coming back. It, it'd be a full year of non-stop. Football. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately I didn't, I didn't regret my decision. And uh, I went on the prosper. As I said, Norwich got relegated, so it didn't, it didn't turn. It didn't turn out to be about. Yeah, it didn't. These days, you do you you watch you do a lot of work in the Premier League, watching football for the Premier League. When you when you look back at the football played in the Premier League in the early years, say ninety three to ninety nine, even even, and then what you you find now. What, what what what's for you as somebody who was involved in in the game at the time? What, what what's been the main change for you as a forward, and what's going on in the game now? What was, what, what would you consider the main change or the main changes? Well, uh, well, the, the the whole profile of the professional game in England has been transformed. English football has always been popular. Mm. Has always been very good. Has always been successful. Their clubs have always done very well in Europe from the mid 1960s all the way up until last season, Liverpool European champions. So the you know the level of, 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 of English football, the competitiveness, the competitiveness of their team has never been in doubt. Mm. Um, on the on the commercial side, and as a from a broadcasting. Point of view, how the league is viewed, it's never been higher. You know, the stock has never, has never been higher. The quality of the football, the atmosphere, mm-hmm. everything, the whole package is the best in the world. Nobody can, nobody can argue with that. You know, the Germans can't, you know, 
account of going arguing with it, they know they know the family was first, the same with Spain, the same with Italian football, and anybody else, they all admit that, you know, the whole package of the Premier League is unrivaled. Um, as for the football, it's a much, um, from when I was playing anyway, let's look at you know, the Nazis. It's a much better looking game. The, the, the quality of football, I think, is generally better. The players are coached better. I think, you know, you, you know coaches, I think coaches were good back in, in the 90s, but I think they're much more, they are better prepared. Okay. And they're better trained. They have more experiences or they experience, they experience greater things because they have a greater mix of players. Because you have a greater mix of players, you are um, playing with more ideas all the time. You can have your your philosophy, uh, but you also, you know, in, in order to be successful, I think you need to adapt and to um, be willing to engage with different ideas. It could be from Africa, it could be from America, it could be from the Far East, from mm-hmm. Europe, different parts of Europe. Um, and you can only do that by having players or by having a multinational squad if you want to be successful anyway, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. If you want to have that full appeal in terms of the style of play and ideas, um, so that broadens everybody's mind. That broadens your mind, your coach's mind, broadens the fans' mind who mm-hmm. watch the game. Um, so I think that's where football in England has improved because there were not too many foreign players in the mid nineties. Every club probably had one or two. Yeah, mostly Scandinavian. some of your favorites, Sammy Lee, at the time. And you look at how he looked on the pitch, he didn't look like, compared to these honed athletes of now. Yeah, yeah. It's completely different, yeah. Yeah, it's not him. And those guys will say, well, listen, look, it didn't matter how we looked, it's how we played. And true, that's true. True. To true. A fantastic level, you know, Liverpool won the European Cup four times, not too far as one it's what has to go up when it wants, Everton won the Cup when it's gone. Won the won the UEFA Cup. Yeah. Um, so all throughout the 70s and 80s, they were the top team. Mm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, you know the the yeah, there's generally more ideas in the game, different influences. Arsene Wenger was influential in in, uh, in helping to revolutionise Arsenal. As a result of that, other teams knew they had to had to follow suit. Mm. But we can't underestimate the the importance of the of the foreign players that's come to the Premier League. They brought a lot of guys ideas, the way they were raised, the way they were trained, you know, the diets, all the, you know, the exercise, the recovery after the games. Um, I 
quality of the pictures also is much better. Yeah, that's yeah. that's another one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, now I look at some of the old footage. <laughs> I see, I see how guys, you know, how we were able to perform on those pitches. Um, now the players have got no excuse. They've got no excuse for not being able to control the ball. They've not. They've got no excuse for not being able to shoot properly because the ball always runs through very, very well to the ball. Ball bouncing mm. in unexpected fashion. Um, it's less strain on the legs, you know, you know, no water log, pitches, no pitches that cut up like a, you know, like a cow's feet and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so, all of, if you put all these things, you know, together, you know, the players be fitter, sharper, all that, better trained, better educated in many ways. And then you should have a better product, you know, which they People say to me, and they say a lot, they ask some of the older players, um, not of my generation really, because I'm not that old, <laughs> but uh, certainly people who maybe played in the early 80s or the 70s, you know, they ask them, do you think you can play now? <laughs> and I always turn it around and I say, I say to them, go and watch some of the old footage of people, you know, people like George Best, you know George Best, mm. people like Kenny Bagley's people like Johan Cruyff, people like Beckenbauer, yeah. and many players below that level even. If you see what they played on, you know, are you, you know, does that really sound like a smart question to ask? You should be asking players now. If they could play there. Five years ago, could they play with a hardship? Could they play with a heavier ball? Could they play when the when the water, when the ground is covered with water, when there's snow and ice on the ground, when there's mud, real mud, no grass, no mud, you know, you won't see any grass on the pitch. Yes. We saw matches after 10 minutes, there's no grass on the pitch. Where you kick the ball around, instead of it only 15 yards with a straight pass, you will stop in the water, the mud after 10 or 5 yards. You know, could they play now? So people don't, they automatically always think that um, players must be, you know, must be much better now than. 25, 30 years ago because they're fast and stronger, yes, but you know, if you allow for if you allow for evolution, you know, there's you know, there's not been a better player than Pelé has until today. Could they, there's no better player than those two. Just like you said, could they play at a time when the offside rule was different, when tackling was different? Well, yeah, I've not even mentioned that one. When the goalkeeper could pick up a back pass? that 25th September of 1993 you you I'm sure going back to the dressing room that day at Goodison Park you absolutely had no idea what was going on in Lagos did you
almost non-existent in Nigeria until then. Right. So who made yeah. contact? How did they make contact with you eventually? Uh, well, somebody would have, somebody from the NFA at the time mm-hmm. just contacted the football club. And they then said the first contact I had with anybody was with Western Half about two weeks later. We played in the UEFA Cup game, we were in Holland. We played against Arsenal and I had a and I had a chat with them then. So that was the first time I'd, I'd made contact with anybody I spoke with him. Yeah. All right, he spoke to you at Inanem. Right. Okay. Um you you were you were at Afcon in twenty in nineteen ninety-four. Tell me how did you how did you um how did you what's the word? How were you able to mix it up with the players in in camp when you guys were in Papan was it Papandel getting ready for um for that Afcon? How 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 was it like for you because you didn't know most of these people. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> okay. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. I knew some of the names, but I didn't know anybody personally. I never met any. But yeah, I think the only person I met was Ben Iroha, because I think he was at Vitesse at the time. Yes. And then we had a, we had a group talk or some chat. I think that's for the game mm-hmm. or something. You know, but I didn't know Ben at all. And, uh, so when I came into camp with him, uh, he was just a face I disliked. It's not easy to come into a new dressing room, whether it's with your club or with the national team, first time with the national team. Mm-hmm. It's a new experience. And uh, yeah, it was, would I say it was tough? Not really. Just, you know, um, I've been in dressing rooms before, obviously with this, it was, it was different because it was, with the national size, I suppose I was a bit more um, on ease about maybe, or something on ease about how things about how things operated, yeah, but no, no real fear, no trepidation, mm. because I'm there for a reason, because I think I'm good enough. So mm. if, if they think you're good enough and you know you're good enough, then you know you belong. End of story, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, over the course of time, yeah. you have to prove you have to prove that you, you belong there. Uh, but yeah, in terms of in terms of um, ability, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't phased. Um, but yeah, you know, but national teams are, are different setups because of the irregularity with which you meet up. So the dynamic is different. You have to learn to adjust to that. Yeah. Were you? It's a good thing you mentioned um, ability. Did Did it frustrate you that um, you were kind of shoehorned to play in midfield? The one game you played in the in the tournament was in midfield yeah. and um, even when you start a game in the Confederation Cup in um, Saudi Arabia if I recall correctly he was also in midfield did that frustrate you? Yeah, I, I can't remember where I played in the nation and in the Confederation Cup um, but so, yeah it's uh, listen I mean to begin with I was I was happy to play obviously um, you would be you would prefer to be playing in the in a position with which people recognize and know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could adjust to playing there, you just need time. And, you know, like with anything, especially with, with national teams, you, you, don't, you don't always get the time. Yeah. Um, so unless you're able to, especially when you're coming into a cyber, is a, in a T20 
team that is already doing very well, you have to be able to be up to speed immediately. Otherwise, people would judge you more harshly than they, than they would do ordinarily because people found an operation, as you know. Yeah. I had a coach of some time, depending on the kind of pressure they're in or, or under. Myself, I wouldn't say that he was an impatient coach, but I think he was very set with the people he had um, playing in certain positions. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> it was always going to be difficult. Um, yeah, you know, the bottom line is that. You have to do something extraordinary to remain in the team or to be able to oust the people who have the jersey. Yeah. And to begin with, you know, there's always a pecking order. Yeah. No matter how good you are, if you come into the national side, there's always somebody who has the jersey before you. It doesn't matter whether you are Pele, Maradona, Cruyff, anybody else. And so you have to show something extra. As I said, the dynamic with the national team is, is a bit different because you're not there every day. You're not there every week or every month. Yeah. You don't get time to Did you did you ever feel even now even now do you um do you feel like you were a part of the super eagles? Good question. You know, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, but people always just take for granted that because you were there. You, you know, you do feel part. Uh, the straight answer for that is uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit straight. <laughs> um, I say yes because, as I said, because I was there. Mm. People would say, well, you were there. You were there for five minutes, you know, you were part. You were there for five hours, five weeks, five months, five years, you were there. Um, so I say yes in that respect, but I say no as well. Uh, because I didn't feel as if I played enough games. If I played more games, then yes, I would feel as if I was a major part, but I wasn't a major part. Mm. Because of the timing, because of when I was there, people will always associate me, you know, with, with Super Eagles, which is fine. Yeah. I've got no problem with that, that's fine. You know, that's, uh, that obviously is, uh, is an honor. And anybody should feel that way. But of course, yeah, I would like to have played more games and I would have felt even more part that I would like to have played more games. In that Nations Cup, I was injured for the first couple of matches, I think. Okay. And, and I was actually thinking, uh, coming back to Norwich because I thought, well, I think I was in for the first game, then I was fit, then I wasn't involved for the next one and the one after that until the quarter final. So I was annoyed. I thought, listen, you know, I, 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 I told the coach that I come and realize, I said, listen, if I'm not going to be involved, I don't need to waste my time. I can go back and replace my club. Uh, anyway, I played the next game, then he didn't play me after that, so it was. Uh, yeah, whether, whether, um, I don't know, would I do things differently now, you know, would I have just come back and I'm famous, I'm getting myself, you know, fit to go properly. You know, probably not, because you only get, you may only get one chance to be involved with a tournament like that, and that was the case for me, or one World Cup. So, you know, things happen that way, the same with the World Cup, you know, I didn't, I went involved the whole time, but didn't, you know, I didn't get to play one minute, so that's the one major regret. I didn't get to play just even one minute of the World Cup. You know, because those things, you know, they come around every once a year. For some players, that was the case for me. When you're fit and ready to play, know that you can make an impact. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, that's uh, so frustrating. 
And yes, I was a part, but not enough of a part, you know, that it makes me satisfied. That's great, man. But you've got the winner's medal and you were in a World Cup squad. Yeah, but that's, as I said, that's tinged with, with uh, no regrets because I didn't get to play, then they're not, they're not performed. So that would be regret. Yeah. Just tinged with frustration, really, more than anything. Yeah, frustration more than anything. Because the World Cup is the biggest event in the world. Mm. It's, it's the biggest uh, sporting event, the biggest singles sporting event. You know, the Olympics is as big, but nothing beats the World Cup in terms of one sport. It's, it's the king. When you guys, <laughs> do you know if you can remember, because of the way you described the World Cup, when you guys were when the plane touched down in um, in Houston, I think, or was it Boston, when you guys got to the World Cup, how were you, do you remember the feeling that, cool, Efano Kuku, I'm here at the World Cup. How was that? No, not really. I think you just, I think when you, when you're with a, a group of players who you think are outstanding, mm. I think, um, from my point of view anyway, well, with the team, it could be your, your club, and, and you go anywhere, it doesn't matter how big the stage, there's a sense of expectancy within you yourself, and I'm sure within collectively and everybody associated with the team that you belong there that you should be there you have a right to be there mm. you qualify you look around at the rest of the, uh, the teams or whatever and you say okay we are we're here for this, this. One, this one we're here for this so you sort of have your business head on you know you don't you don't treat it in an exciting way or i didn't anyway because you just know okay this is what we're here for you know so you don't go with that sort of with that tourist mentality, <laughs> yeah. like you said, yeah. you, know, you go with you go with your your business head on. Yeah. So so that's how I felt. I think that's how I would say. I think that's how the place felt. Is that we're not here just to show people that you know we were white and green. Mm. You know, we're here to show people that you know we've come to win. We've come to win matches. <laughs> so uh, I think that was the mentality. Let, let me try and move this along a bit faster. Um, I. The first time I heard you doing co-commentating was on BBC Five Live. And I remember thinking, wow, I love to listen to this more often. Then a friend of mine who came visiting also listened. And he, then he remember him asking me, why doesn't Evan do more matches? He talks so much more sense than most of these other people. He does not give us cliches and all of that. Now, the question I'm asking really is this. Why did you choose this route and not coaching? <clears throat> I always, um, let's start with, with the coaching side. I never really had a passion for coaching. Ah. And I think if you do, you will do it because I understand why some people do it. That's all they've ever known throughout their life from the age of you know, 15, 16 when they signed with the club. That's all they've ever known for 15 years of professional for me. What's not you think? Or some of them have taken the badge beforehand. But that was, never, that was never really in my mind. And as a result of that, I don't do things half-heartedly if I, w I want to do them. I if I wanted to do it properly, I would have got make sure that I was, I was probably qualified, remained in the game, be uh, involved with coaching before I retire. So okay. the minute you start, you know that there's an opportunity. You know, at least you try and take an opportunity. Usually, at the club that you 
playing is the easiest way or a former club where people know you if you have a former teammate who's now the head coach or an assistant coach yeah. you know, we have, you know, you know, there's a position open for you but as that never really was my mind it was it was a decision that I wasn't even I wasn't um, I wasn't qualified to take I wasn't prepared to take but whereas the commentary I I did a couple of things before I retired with the BBC for example uh, even before I officially retired in 2002, mm. I went to the World Cup and, and commentated in South Korea and Japan. Yes, you did um, too. Yeah, I'd not, I'd not retired then, I, uh, but when I got back after the summer, things just you know, sort of happened very quickly. I was injured and then I fell out with the people. I suffered Wednesday in terms of, well, just not enjoying, enjoying my football, so I made the decision very quickly and said, right, you know, that's enough. And yeah, and um, then I just seemed um, an easy transition to make. Yeah. My foot was uh, my foot was already in the door, you know, and uh, something that I felt I I took to very quickly, and I was happy, you know, to continue. How do you manage to um, not sound uh, both judgmental and too <laughs> too critical or? Um, being too defensive of your players, how do you, how do you keep how do you keep um, an even kill in trying to analyze a situation? Yeah, that's a good question. I I've never really thought about it as something that I had to do. I think it just came to me automatically, and I think that the most important word in commentating to have is balance. Yeah, you need, you need to be balanced. That means you need to not favour either side over over the other over any circumstances mm-hmm. because you are there as a neutral. I'm there as a neutral man, a neutral a neutral broadcaster. You know. I'm I'm a Liverpool fan, but I'm never biased towards Liverpool. I can't afford to be. Why? They don't pay my wages. They don't pay me. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's my team, but they don't pay me. You know. Yeah. I you know I was raised in Liverpool. So in that way, I'm, I'm a little bullying, but I support Liverpool, always have them, but they don't pay me. <laughs> so if I if I wanted to be biased towards Liverpool and just you know, shout for my team, I would ask for work, I would ask for a job at Liverpool TV, yeah. then I can be biased. It doesn't matter then. You know, people <laughs> would, would tune in, expecting me to be biased, I can be biased as I want, you know, but I would enjoy that. You know? So mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to call a game as I see it. If I see that Liverpool are not playing great, I can tell you, you know, they're not playing great. If, if uh, Michael Owen is not playing good, or uh, Daniel Sturridge is not playing well, or Mane is not playing well, I like to call it that way. Yeah. If the team for Arsenal playing better, I'll call it that way for them. I'll say, this is the best team, or I think they should have done this, or whatever. So having that balance is important, that impartiality. If you don't have that impartiality, then yeah. you, know, you know, you're not a proper broadcaster. Because um, most people watching the game, no matter how many millions of fans Liverpool have around the world, more people watching the game will not be Liverpool fans. True. They may not be the fans of the other team also. Mm. So what do you have to do? You have to give everybody an opinion that is not based on bias. If it's not based on bias, they can enjoy it as a, a neutral. So I suppose you have to think about maybe working on the game and broadcasting in a way that the neutral will enjoy because most, most people around the world watching will be neutrals. So if I was giving that advice to anybody, given the work and i my job, I'd say, listen, you have to be neutral. Of course, you can have your favorites. And sometimes when I'm working, I'd say, you know, you know, 
Instagram that I've always liked. I've seen him since he was 19 years old. Now he's 30, he's improved all the time. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You can extol the virtues of, of one player like that. And if you're going to be critical, sometimes I have to be, then it must be constructive. Yeah. You know, you know it can't be, you can't be ranting. You know, you can't be just be criticizing someone and saying, this guy's no good, he's been not to finish. He's not to pass. You have to say why you think you can't pass. Why you think he can't finish, you know? He yeah. didn't supply, he's too selfish, he's not strong enough, he's not quick enough, technically he needs to work on this. Mm-hmm. If you qualify, if you qualify, you know, the criticism, then people can't say this guy is just, he's talking nonsense. Because, you know, I'll say to him, well, go back and listen to what I said and how I said it. And there's a time to say it also. Yeah. It could be a young guy at 19, 20, you know, that he's not quite mature, not quite polished. They're going to say, okay, he's got a few things to work on, but. Three, four years now, I'm expecting to polish some of those things. He'll be a much better player. And, you know, so you give you, you give kudos when it's due and you criticise when you think it's due, but not being overly harsh in that way. But as I said, if, if you have to feel, if you feel as if you have to, make sure that it's, it's, it's constructive as much as possible. That goes for the individual player and also for the team and for the way the team may be coached or whatever. How did that feel last week, Thursday? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) You know what? It's more relief than anything else. I was pleased. I was pleased for the players. Mm. I was pleased for Klopp. I was pleased for the fans and one of the fans. And um, yeah, it's been a long time. Thirty years did this well. Since nineteen ninety, I was twenty-three when they last won the league. It's incredible. And I grew up with Liverpool winning the league almost every year. Between 1973 and 1990, Liverpool finished first or second every single year apart from one year. Every year apart from one, they finished first or second, so they won the league title 11 times in 18 years, 11 times. The year they finished, I think the year they finished outside the top two was 1981 and they won the European Cup. Yeah, Yeah, Aston Villa won the league and Liverpool won Because I, I I remember that time when Liverpool won the title in ninety or thereabout, that ninety one. I I had a I had a poster of of um, Liverpool team um, in my room in university at the time. And one of my friends always used to make fun of me. He said to me that United you know, haven't won the title in my lifetime. He always used to say that to me at the time. Like United yeah, won the title in my lifetime. So by the time they won the title in ninety three, just like you said, relief. Is was what I felt like. I said, "Yes, finally, yeah. we got it." Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Long time coming. Long time coming. But 
you know, just when, when I was playing throughout the 90s, mm. obviously I played against Liverpool many times, mm. and being a fan also, supporting the club, and being involved in seeing players, seeing the players, or obviously playing with them in the field, being around the football club, mm. and hearing things. Yeah, you also, if you're smart enough, you can, you can send, you, you, you can gauge a sense of what is happening around the football club. I see. All the, the, all the vibes and noises, you know, coming out, the way the club was operating, and what was visible to the public, what I saw, what I heard outside of, outside of public eyes. Yes. Was not conducive, was not conducive to be a team that was ready to win the league title. So you, you, you have to run the football club um, in a super professional manner. You have to have, you know, the, the most important person at the football club always is the head coach, always the most important person. Mm. More important than any player is the head coach. That person has the right ethos, the right work ethic, the right skills, the right personality. Anything is possible. And Liverpool didn't have that you know, for too long. And uh, a scattergun approach in a way to, you know, to buying players. And really, you're as good as a player as you buy and throughout many times. For too many years, Liverpool bought some very good players. Outstanding players, some players improved. The balance was never was never good enough all the way through. Mm. Um, because we spent money, we spent lots of money, as mm. much as, as most other people, both maybe Manchester City now and Chelsea for quite a few years. Um, but if you don't get things right, and then you'll always be playing catch up. You, know, you, you bring in one manager, too many bad signings, they move on, all those players move on, you lose a lot more money. Someone else comes in, the same thing, same thing. It's taken a long time to. It's been a long time to get there, Playing you know, catch up is long bad, long. isn't it? Yeah, it took nearly twenty-five years to you know to come. But now we found it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, um, on that on that note, I would like to say thank you so very much for your time on your Sports Memo podcast, Evan. Um, I, I, as as somebody who. Um, You've seen a lot of African players with Mane and Salah and all of that. If you if you were to give advice to young African players coming into Europe and coming to the Premier League, what what would be what would you say to them to be successful? Uh, uh, don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something um, because it's not true. When I've, I've been in contact with any of them, I've always told them, listen, you may be, as I said, you know, always, always remember that, but you have to be able to back up, you know, your indignation, your annoyance at what they say, because they're trying to stabilize you for whatever reason. You have to be able to back it up with, with your determination. If you don't have the determination, don't, don't come, you know, or don't think that you'll be successful. You may come and play some games, Make some good money here, some great money here, but to be successful, you need to have longevity, you need to have consistency. Obviously, the quality, because uh, people will want to, you know, instead of talking about you 10 years after you retire, 15 years after you retire, 20 years after you retire. And, you know, that's, that's as we call that, a legacy. So, being determined enough is determination to work hard is, is, uh, has to be there, has to be there, because. There's many thousands of hundreds of thousands of kids like you where where you're coming from, whether it's from Morocco, from Senegal, from Gambia, from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Gabon, from China, from 
this one, that one, that one. All of them, all of them may be coming for the same thing that that you're there for for that one position in that Yeah. The, the dedication, and you can't fail. It's impossible. 
possible to hear. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Efan. No problem, bro. Thank you. Yeah, special thanks to Efan Okoku for sharing um, his experience as a footballer, as a Super Eagles player, and even in his current um, broadcasting role with the Premier League TV and even with BBC. Hope you enjoy this um, edition and episode of your Sports Memo podcast. Please do share and um, feel free to drop us your comments. You can send an email to us at news at acsports.com or even go to our social media platforms on Twitter um, at acsports or Facebook and Instagram. Once again, my name is Calvin Emekawoka and it's been my privilege to have you listen to this episode. Till we'll come again next time. Stay safe.